welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and returning to the show today is Robin Shapiro. She is a board chair and co-founder of Health Advocate X, whose mission is to help people transform from patients to active participant and partner in their care. She's a nationally recognized expert in health advocacy and the best-selling author of The Secret Language of Healthcare, How to Ask for the Care You Deserve. Welcome. Thank Thank you, you. Tom and Robin. Thanks for coming back to the show. And on the first episode, um, she, we talked about her role is that she has been a patient advocate organizer for a long time. And I would encourage you to listen to our prior podcast last week and give you some background. But I really want to jump into her trailblazing role in the health advocacy movement, but also in a way of what she's doing, what her vision is, and how she thinks it might be part of changing healthcare. We're probably not going to sell healthcare today. We'll give it a shot. <laughs> Wouldn't that but be nice? She has a book called The Secret Language of Healthcare, How to Ask for the Care You Deserve. And it's nicely organized. It's a great resource book. I would encourage anybody, period, to grab this book because you always have family members with healthcare issues. But she provides some really nice resources of directly, practically, you know, getting a hold of those resources. So, Robin, if you could, uh, I'm curious myself, right now you have the nonprofit Health Advocate X. And what is your mission of the nonprofit and what's actually happening within the, non- within the nonprofit organization? And I just want to um, give a shout out to my co-founder, Beth Droppert, who's a nurse and a longtime initial pioneer in, in this area. And there are a, a few other pioneers who have been at it for 10 to 15 years. So okay. um, right. I want to make sure that they get their credit. Um, but uh, Health Advocate X really came about as an evolution from the statewide organization, the Washington State Health Advocacy Association. And the idea behind it was to, much like back in control, is to put control back in the hands of ordinary people. And how do you do that? You do that through education, knowledge, and building confidence. And in fact, I think in the last episode, we were talking a little bit about the patient activation measure that was pioneered by Judith Hibbard out of University of Oregon. And the the crux of what I consider the bottom line on that is, is to help patients build confidence so that they feel like they have more choice and control over their own healthcare decision-making. And so really that's what Health Advocate X is all about. We seek to bring together patients, caregivers, uh, independent health advocates that are acting outside of the healthcare system with the goal of empowering and uh, putting choice and control in the hands of patients as they navigate healthcare. So are they mostly patients who ask for your services or healthcare providers or both? I mean, what's the general, in other words, if I have a a family member with say um, multiple sclerosis, chronic disease, and I want some help, um, how would we reach out to the health advocacy world? 
Yeah, so that's a great question. And so on our website, we have a directory. There are a couple different independent health advocate directories out there. And you'll find uh, people who in their credentials, and by the way, health advocacy is not a credentialed uh, profession. There is a certification out of the um, professional advocate certification board. So that's called PACB. So people will see some advocates have the BCPA board certified patient advocate. So that's something to take a look out for. Um, and other advocates will have a linkage to like an aging life care association. So just pay attention to where people have their education and also experience. So some advocates don't come out of the medical field. They come out at it uh, out of personal experience and navigating in specific areas. Like Tom and I were just talking about a friend of his who is a cancer advocate who herself navigated uh, cancer and so has a very specific point of view in terms of her experience and services that she can provide. That's one of the things that I love about health advocacy and that patients will generally find is that most advocates are niched into certain areas. So MS, cancer, financial advocacy, there's this whole overlay, right? We were talking before about the business of healthcare, right. which more people are, are um, understanding that healthcare is a business. I mean, that's just bottom line. Even if they're not for profit, they still have to make money. And so the financial implications and navigation is very important for a lot of advocates. And in fact, there's a great advocate out of the Maryland area named Dana, Dana Hudson. Uh, she, um, she heads up Cancer Champions and she did a program and it's available free on YouTube for anybody in the public. And it's called Financial Toxicity. And it talks about financial effects of having cancer or other chronic diseases. So anyway. Yeah, no, it's devastating. I mean, I have a fair number of patients over the years who get, for instance, I remember one gentleman had prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. He's relatively young in his 50s. And of course, he lost his job. Yep. And of course, then what happens? So then the people that were pro providing care for him were no longer covering the services. And he really had very substandard treatment after that. Yep. Just a disaster. And I'm sure you run across that pretty frequently. Well, we do. And so for instance, I had just heard, gosh, it was, it was really recently a health advocate who worked with somebody um, with uh, chronic disease and cancer needing a um, needing an organ transplant. And she was able to actually negotiate um, an extension of job em employment. So that was one of the things that she did in addition to navigating the organ, um, you know, the organ transplantation aspects, which is very complicated. And so patients really need to, and, and, and I, I love this time in life, uh, not because the healthcare system is challenging and that's great, but that there are so many people that are getting into the independent health advocate space that have really great experience that can be put to use immediately for patients uh, to good use and really get them, uh, you know, 
extension in employment in some cases, navigating or looking at double billing or confusing billing and clearing out or reducing the costs. Um, that's something that advocates, specific advocates can do. In addition to just helping you understand what your medical choices are and helping to ask questions so that people feel like they have more control and that they understand their choices. So how many of us, self-included, have gone to the doctor, there's a treatment, uh, and, and no offense to you, but, <laughs> but the doctors lay, yeah. you know, the doctors lay out your treatment options. You need to pick one. Maybe the doctor's leaning one way or another, but you have no idea really until you live through that option what is going to be the potential result. You just don't. And so an advocate, I think, can help ask questions that are relevant to you and your life that can shed a little bit more light on, on those um, aspects. So can I ask you a question? You can say no to this. Um, okay. I'm asking somebody seriously, but mostly to bring awareness to a movement that I am starting, our group is starting, called Dynamic Healing. Oh. Interesting. And so in medicine, we treat the symptoms. <clears throat> Remember, there's three parts of healing. You have the input or those stresses. Then you have the nervous system, which is the person's coping skills. And then you have the neurochemical output, which determines the state of the body's chemistry. So if your body chemistry is neutral or safe, people thrive. But if your stresses overwhelm your nervous system, you're in a threat physiology. So what happens right now, if you're treating just the symptoms, the problem, the root cause is this interaction of where your stresses overwhelm your coping skills, you're in threat physiology. And when it's sustained, in other words, we need threat physiology to survive, but it's not intended to be sustained. It just isn't. So what happens, dynamic healing acknowledges the fact that you have stresses and coping skills, and there's ways of processing stress more efficiently, which your group does. In other words, you're dealing with the input. How do you navigate the system? How do you get control? And you may do some work as far as sleep, stress, and exercises to help the resiliency of the nervous system. But what you're doing, you're changing the input. In other words, you're allowing people to have more understanding. That understanding translates into less anxiety, which helps the body's physiology. So we talked about things that help the body physiology and your system actually helps inflammatory markers directly. But again, the input or the circumstances that you're helping define and deal with is actually another way of changing the input anyway the movement we're calling and i and i, and I love that i love that <laughs> so what, what you do on your part of this dynamic healing movement well i first of all i love the name and i you know i'm a big believer dave in your um in your perspective and i've seen it right i've seen it in my own life i've seen it with uh, other patients and family members in terms of taking the whole person approach. And I'm curious uh, in terms of the dynamic healing movement being aligned akin or attached to the functional medicine um, uh, doctors who are practicing out there because it, it sounds a bit like the philosophy behind that as well. Do you want me to just pee off a little bit? I can, can I rant for a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try not to do this too much. So mainstream medicine, mainstream medicine right now is actually hurting our society. We're offering, we're treating just the symptoms. We're yeah. not going after the root cause. So functional medicine, 
integrative medicine actually acknowledges that interaction. In other words, it's under dynamic healing is sort of, sort of an umbrella, ter umbrella term. So what you're doing is part of dynamic healing. So integrative medicine does acknowledge the person and the stresses, and you have to treat symptoms. I'm not against treating symptoms, but that's only the result, not the cause. But I thought so, functional medicine actually was really about getting to root cause. Like I thought that's their thing. So I agree with that. Okay. So I wrote an article called Disintegrated Medicine. Hmm. So the art of the just the article was that integrated medicine actually does acknowledge the stresses in the person. And I don't, but see, I don't like the term integrated medicine or functional medicine or because that is medicine. Yeah. So I don't like the term. Yeah. Yeah. Medicine. Right. I mean, right. They're, 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 my point being, those are oxymorons. So the reason why I'm proposing a different term is a little bit more neutral is because when modern medicine talks about functional medicine, functional medicine is way more data than mainstream medicine does. So my term for mainstream medicine is disintegrated medicine. That is fascinating. Because it is. We don't, I mean, in spine surgery, I think it's said multiple times, the success rate for a spine fusion for back pain is 22%. We have no data. There's not one research paper in 60 years that says we should be fusing normally aging spines. Yeah. It's true with cardiac disease, OBGYN, chronic pain. And so we're spending more money per capita than almost any modern country in the world. Our chronic disease load, as you know, is going through the ceiling. And I segue here, here a little bit because, again, it's threat versus safety. And with the business of medicine, in other words, I'm not trying to throw the individual doctors under the bus because they are really well-intentioned people, but the business of medicine has kidnapped us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, for sure. For sure. There is no disagreement. I mean, honestly, and patients, I think are starting to wake up a teeny bit ab about this. Some patients are, and that's why I like, I love this baby boom era of people who want what they want. Right. So they're pushing against that. And so I think the dynamic healing idea is that's great because people do want that positive and um, attainable, attainable. You right. know, I would say, and you and I have talked about this before with my own autoimmune journey, you know, going from not being able to walk to really uh, very functional, you know, in really good health. And it wasn't one thing. Right. It was a lot of things and tinkering. And so that dynamic, uh, that dynamic healing, I, I like that. I like that term. Well, I also know there's three parts to solving chronic disease. One is awareness, you know, understand the problem, understand the solution, understand your situation. The second part is you treat every factor simultaneously. Mm -hmm. But so chronic pain is complicated. We throw random simplistic solutions at a complicated problem. You can't do it. So that's where, you, where your health advocacy comes into play because you help people access every part of their care. But the final part, which you also help with, is that the patient takes control. Because you have a complex yes. problem put on a unique individual, and I'm not you, you're not me. In other words, I can't really solve your problems. As a doctor, I can spend eight hours a day with you. I can't solve your pain. I can help you. So, I mean, what I'm and, and most patients don't understand that too, right? Because they're coming to the doctor wanting a solution right. that is quick and painless, right? Everybody wants it to be fixed and done. So fix me instead of helping me delve into 
more of the muck of, you know, what is causing this and a real plan that's going to have lasting results. Right. And that's part of the American well, mindset, too. Yeah. What's ironic <laughs> is that by doing the process we're talking about, it actually is fast and painless because usually, usually within six to 12 weeks, if people learn the skills, they're just skills. This is no magic to what we're doing. We're just implementing the standard of care. So everything we're doing is actually the standard of care. What is not the standard of care is operating on normal spines. Yeah. Right. So what you're doing, I'm excited about, and you and I, as you know, are on the same mission, is we're trying to give patients the capacity to make decisions for themselves. As we pointed out in the first, first podcast, just having a sense of control mm -hmm. is actually anti-inflammatory. Yeah. So what you're doing is having a very direct anti-inflammatory effect on people. In addition to accessing good services, et cetera. And then conversely, I mean, right now, the um, I did... We're talking about the financial part of this thing. 65% of personal bankruptcies are from medical bills. So medicine is prescribing procedures that don't work or treating only symptoms, not addressing the root cause. I personally hold mainstream medicine, if you want to, I'll use the word disintegrated medicine, mm -hmm. as responsible for the homeless situation. We are bankrupting people with procedures that don't work. Well, and I think, you know, <laughs> Being from the Seattle, Washington area, where we have an overwhelming uh, situation of people experiencing homelessness, a lot of that also is the is the complete lack of mental health support. Right. Complete lack of mental health support. Right. And so, as we and actually, um, and and I think you know this. Last year at our annual conference, we tackled whole person advocacy integrating mental health, which is the same as physical health, but it's just kind of been this, the stepchild, right? right. And um, unless our country and our cities get control of this, we will not be helping our population. We will not be helping our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters, our parents, our grandparents. It's just a huge overwhelming problem. You know, I just, you just precipitated a thought which may or not be valid, so. Okay. It's, you're right, mental health. So what we do strongly feel, and I've learned this the last 12 months, is that mental health is a much bigger issue than physical health because once a mental health, because it's all the same, it's all inflammatory. Yeah. So, but the, and we also don't look at mental and physical health separately anymore. I don't like the word mind body because it implies a separation in the first place. It's just a unit, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the mind body is actually mind body one word. Right. Right. <laughs> but see, when people say that, they still sort of somehow instinctively feel as, feel as a separation. So I'm just saying that mental health is a bigger problem than physical health by far. We tend mm -hmm. to put those into two separate realms. So, what about if we came up with a term called physiological health? I think that's too highbrow for most people. I, you know, I, I honestly think the dynamic healing is great if people understand it. Right. So, so you know, my book, The Secret Language of Healthcare, How to Ask for the Care You Deserve, is all about trying to make things simple and understandable and achievable. Because when you look at a big problem, like when I couldn't walk, I mean, that's basically, that was my body's way of saying, okay. You're not dealing with, you know, X, Y, and Z. 
how about if I ground you for a while? <laughs> Literally. So, you know, and, I, don't, I don't think I know your story here. What, what, what do you mean you couldn't walk? Is this you personally? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I did not know this. So, yeah. Yeah. So, in 2008, and you know financial crisis had impacted one of my businesses i had started another business that was um the first independent health advocate company in washington state with beth dropper my partner who's the nurse and my dad was dying of brain cancer in maui hawaii all at the same time and um you know that was that was just a terrible terrible time and not to belabor that, but after he died, he died within um, six months. And so I was kind of going back and forth and I was a distance caregiver and supporting my mom and whatnot. But um, very soon after he died, uh, you know, I always done a lot of intense exercise. And so I was getting up for boot camp class and was doing my warm up jog. And I had a little twinge on my foot and this had followed maybe about a year of having morning stiffness, which I thought was something else. And I knew about morning stiffness because my work with rheumatoid arthritis and Dr. Meese and that kind of thing. But um, anyway, I wasn't paying attention to it because I didn't have time, right? So boot camp class, feeling a little twinge on my foot, and then ping my ankle, something like popped or something. And I basically couldn't walk on it. And I went and got it checked out by foot and ankle guy who put me in a boot, which was the worst thing ever, because it increased my inflammation around my foot. And so it right. got worse, not better. And then came back and he was doing a digital exam and he, he pushed my toes, which is a very simple, um, you know, inflammatory kind of thing. And I was, I just rose to the ceiling and I said, don't do that. And he said, oh, this is inflammatory. And I'm like, yeah, it is, which I knew what that meant because I had worked in rheumatology for a long time. Um, basically, I couldn't walk. I was, uh, talked to uh, our friend, uh, Dr. Philip Meese, who diagnosed me right away. I was really lucky that I got diagnosed right away, started the started the process of being on high dose NSAIDs. So I was taking like 2000 milligrams of naproxen a day and it wasn't doing anything. And I'm sorry, what was the diagnosis? Uh, it was undifferentiated spondyloarthropathy. So right. it's specifically okay. the inflammation where your ligaments attach. Right, okay. So, um, so basically I was, you know, running hard, running two businesses, young family, fly, you know, flying around all the time. And uh, what, what Dr. Me said to me was, you, you have to, um, you're not going to be able to do the life that you have. You have to calm your life down. You know, you have to, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's for other people. Right. <laughs> and um, I had to live it. I had to basically um, say, okay, you know, when my husband couldn't touch me, when I couldn't get up from the floor, when I couldn't walk, I eventually said, okay, I give, I've got to put all my effort into healing. And so like your idea of dynamic healing, I would say that was my journey. That was my complete journey. 
you know, uh, nutrition, mindfulness, meditation, exercise in a different way, rearranging my work life um, so that I could um, have a more balanced life. And over the years, you know, I was really lucky. I was able to turn it around. And, um, but it was one, it was one step in, in front of each other. And when I, because I was almost um, going to be on some very uh, heavy duty medicine. And uh, I, I said to Dr. Meese, what about the diet? And, and he said, well, you know, that's not going to hurt you go ahead and try it. And so that was the start of my journey. And I didn't see him for a year until we bumped into each other. We sat next to each other on a flight a year after that visit. Oh, interesting. And he was like, how are you? You look great. And I said, the diet really, really helped in addition to all these other things. Right. So. Well, that just, I just want to make one point here. And this is a wonderful conversation is that with chronic, I'm using the word chronic disease, mental and physical, it's always a multi-pronged approach and all sorts of, all sorts of interventions are effective, but nothing by itself. So if it just health advocacy is an intervention that helps, that can solve all your problems, diet anti-inflammatory, but if you're on an anti-inflammatory diet and not exercising or sleeping, which are inflammatory, you have to just bring it all together at the same time. Right. And you do look great. I honestly didn't know you had had that degree of illness at one point. So yeah, you're a classic yeah. example of how it works. Nobody does it the same way, but right. I guess you sort of took control. Well, and um, you know, I'm I'm more privileged than most, right? I have access to good um, high quality food. And, um, you know, I live in a beautiful place where I can exercise easily. And I was lucky that I could structure my work in a way that gave me a little bit of time. But I think the big lesson here was that first of all, I got help. I, I worked with, you know, I got all the books, I got coaches, I got, you know, friends to talk about and share experiences with me. And it didn't happen overnight. It was over, you know, several years of, of keeping at it. And that's why I love that dynamic healing uh, umbrella term. I think that that is very appealing because it's not just one thing. And you know what? We're not all perfect. I'm, I'm sitting here with an ice pack actually on my back because my husband and I, we do 10 minute abs, the Carrie Pearson, um, program mm -hmm. and I overdid it and I strained my back and that's been a bummer. It's been a couple of weeks, but I keep coming back to the fact that, um, well, first of all, I was doing 10 minute abs. So, you know, right. and, um, and just keeping a positive attitude that it will change. And that's really hard when you're in chronic pain and when you have a chronic condition and you're at the beginning of your journey before you've had some wins in the, momentum towards your healing that's really hard right robin thank you again very much for the interview and this is great stuff that you're doing and we'll probably talk again soon i really like what you're doing there's lots of ramifications to it including you know somewhat changing healthcare just the nature of healthcare demands people be heard so i hope I so, hope so. <laughs> i hope in 50 years that your services become obsolete that people are listened to initially by their doctors but that hasn't happened. It's not going to happen in the near future. So your services are incredibly valuable. So she, 
is a co-founder of a nonprofit called Health Advocate X. Again, is that a website, healthadvocatex.org? Yes. Or, okay. Mm -hmm. Where you can access her services and resources. Her book is The Secret Language of Healthcare, How to Ask for the Care That You Deserve, Care That You Deserve. And uh, it's a nice book. It's a very practical resource-based book that'll help you. So Robin, thank you again very much for being here. Thank you. I always learn something from you and really appreciate all the work that you're doing. Thank you. I'd like to thank our guest, Robin Shapiro, for being on the show today and for giving us an overview of what health advocates do and the important role they play in the healthcare process. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.thedocjourney.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.